Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hi, everyone. My name is April Hennessy, and I'll be your host today. I'm a digital learning specialist at GP Strategies. And as part of our celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, we are talking to some of my colleagues from the AAPI community. We're joined by Doug Shu, Eric Trong, and Ronnie Ng. You'll hear more about them in just a minute. Before we kick off our conversation, though, I just wanted to note that in the U.S., AAPI Heritage Month has been around since 1992, when Congress passed a law designating May as the month of celebration and awareness. Prior to that, it was observed as a week-long event from the late 70s. The month of May was chosen to commemorate the immigration of the first Japanese individuals to the U.S. on May 7, 1843, and to mark the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10, 1869, since the majority of the workers who laid the tracks were Chinese immigrants. So there's your fact for the day. Let's go ahead and get started. So I think I'll start with Ronnie, and we'll kind of just go around and talk to each of you, get your perspectives here. But Ronnie, why don't you tell me a little bit about your history and your role at GP? Thanks, April. I'm excited to be here. So my history, I was born in L.A., in California and grew up in the DC area for the majority of my life um, and then up and down the East Coast after that. My parents are both born in India and they came to America in their early 20s. My father went to college here and I would say the, the community I grew up in didn't have a lot of Asian people for me to relate with or be friends with, but I did have uh, my dad's side of the family here. So I was able to you know kind of have that connection there. I would say probably like most Asian Americans, I've connected more with my heritage as I've grown up and gotten older and maybe seen the value in it rather than thinking it was something that made me different and realized that the thing that made me different was awesome. Adding to my Asian culturalness, uh, my husband, his family is actually from Hong Kong and his family is Cantonese. He grew up in America and was born in Maryland, but his mom and dad are both from Hong Kong and they also came over in their early 20s. So a lot to vibe with there. And I've just absolutely loved learning more about the Chinese culture. My role here at GP, I started as a project coordinator on the PNC account eight years ago. And since that, I've worked myself up through project management. So um, that's my history personally and at GP. Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And yeah, I mean, my mom also immigrated to the U.S. when she was in her 20s and basically lived most of her adult life here and didn't really go back to Korea very often because all of her family also moved over at some point. So I had my grandmother living with me, my uncle living with me. And so, yeah, we we really did have a rich and vibrant Asian community as I was growing up to in my household and, and sort of beyond. But I didn't always appreciate it, like you said, right? That's until, a really until later. fair point. So I didn't have a lot of friends that were Indian or Asian, but right, my dad, he brought over his brothers and his parents and my grandparents lived with us, obviously, like they do. So, you know, I always had that growing up. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really common narrative for a lot of Asian American families and communities. Thank you, Ronnie. Um, hey, Eric, why don't you share with us? 
Yeah, so my name is Eric Trong. Brief bit about my history. I was born and raised in uh, Vietnam, Saigon, Vietnam is the southern part. My family and I migrated here when I was 10. Um, my parents and my sister, she was three at the time. So I went to the last year of fifth grade through middle school, high school, college in America, in Portland, Oregon. And we've been in and around this area. I went to college at Oregon State and then kind of worked in Vancouver, Washington, and then now back in the Portland area. My wife is uh, Laotian and we have two kids, so they will probably grow up to be trilingual in you know English, Vietnamese and Laotian. Now I'm the learning and innovation project manager under our global innovation research and development team, which is on the same team as April. So yeah. Thanks, Eric. And yeah, I am so glad to be on the same team as you in large part because I get to see those two very cute kids in some of our phone calls, which I love. Um, I love that part of our culture is sort of making space for that as well. So thank you for sharing. Hey, Doug, how about you? Well, hey, April, thanks for having me on this podcast here. So my story was actually almost the inverse of Ronnie's story. And so I, it's kind of interesting listening to you, Ronnie, share your story because mine's almost exact reverse. My parents actually were uh, born in China, but fled to Taiwan at, with their parents as political refugees in the wake of the 1949 Communist Revolution in China. They spent their adolescence in Taiwan and came over to the U.S. for grad school in their 20s, in their early 60s. And they ended up settling in Richmond, Virginia for work, where they were one of the very first Chinese-American families to settle in that area. That's where I was born and brought up. Again, similar to Ronnie, there was a very small Asian-American, Chinese-American community and um, didn't really have much contact or desire to be connected with my my culture, my past, until I grew up. So similar, Ronnie, to what you were saying. And the other sort of reverse part of what Ronnie is saying is that my other half, my wife, is from India, born and brought up there. And I have enjoyed learning all about Indian culture as an adult. And my kids, Eric, to not to your point, are actually trilingual. They speak both um, Mandarin as well as Hindi and, of course, English being their native tongue. At GP, I've been um, privileged to work as a design PM for about eight years now. Wow. These are some lucky kids growing up with all these languages in their houses. Um, I grew up hearing Korean, speaking Korean, but I, I'm not completely fluent, right? Conversationally, I can sort of understand. I hear, I listen. My writing and reading is about at like a kindergarten level. So it's kind of sad, but I'm so glad that your kids are, are getting some fluency. I think that's really, really great and something that will serve them well, certainly in this global future, right? So, yeah. So I think, you know, one of the interesting things is as we were sort of thinking through these questions, this question of Asian American or Asian heroes popped up. And, you know, I heard from some people when we were kind of throwing these around that maybe this was a hard question to answer, right? And and that is telling in and of itself. If this is a, a hard question to answer, why is it so difficult? And probably because we didn't have a lot of representation growing up and probably also because we didn't read or hear a lot about these Asian or Asian American influences in school or, or in society or in a lot of places, right? So I do kind of want to just give us some space to think through 
those contributions? Like, who are your Asian American or Asian heroes? And uh, why don't we mix it up a little bit, Eric? Why don't we start with you for this one? Yeah, I have I have a couple, and I'll be uh, I'll try to be quick. My kind of childhood growing up Asian hero was Jackie Chan. My my dad, my family just loved watching his movies. I. I think he still watches, rewatches the movies up to this day. And so growing up, he was just, you know, a somebody like an actor that we really liked. And that's my childhood hero. More recently, my current Asian uh, hero is Hideki Matsuyama. He's a professional golfer from Japan, and he was he is the first male Japanese golfer to win a, a major on the PGA Tour, the Masters, which in my opinion is like the most sought after title to win. And he, he received a Japanese uh, Prime Minister's Award for it, uh, one of only th- under 30 people or under 40. It's like 35 people that has it. But those are the two that I can think of on top of my head. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, I was saying to someone the other day, I think it's kind of interesting and fun that this current generation has so much more exposure, right? I mean, even thinking just about the Oscars, which just happened and Chloe Zhao winning the Oscar for Best Director. It's such a cool thing to see happen. And, you know, even just thinking about the explosion of K-pop and K-drama and all of these different kinds of like global exposures that that we're getting constantly now. I think those, if we asked a younger generation, younger than us, sorry, everyone, I'm lumping us in together. If we asked a slightly younger generation, they might even have more answers off the top of their head, right? Which I think is a super cool thing. But, but yeah, thank you for sharing that, Eric. Ronnie, how about you? Yeah, sure. So I agree with you, April. I had a bit of trouble at first to think of a childhood hero. But I think once I was into my high school age and my teens, it was emerging. I have to shout out to Eric, Jackie Chan, that he was huge in our household as well. My father loved his movies. And I think just as you were talking, I realized we just connected with, you know what I mean, anybody that maybe wasn't typical American, right? So Jackie Chan felt very, like, you just felt connected to him. So that's a, that's a really good one. Um, You know, I don't think I had anybody as a little girl being like, oh, wow, I see me in that person. But I'll say the very first one, I'm probably predictable if you know me, but Mindy Kaling, oh my God, she was on The Office. She was me. She wasn't an Indian person with an accent. She was an American Indian on a TV show, hilarious, into girly things, right? Not like a nerdy, only book smart, you know, stereotypical Indian. And so I think for, that was that was the first time I was like, oh, my God, like, is this real? And then, you know, the office blew up. It was such a big deal. And then to learn that she wasn't just an actress on it, but she wrote it and, you know, she she did some directing and she was a part of creating it. So I would say she would definitely be somebody that I admire there. The next person I would say, again, in this day and age would be Kamala Devi Harris to see an Indian woman being in a place of such power in the United States of America that shows that we can be influential in that space. That's just mind-blowing and I'm so blessed to be alive to see that happen because I don't think I would have thought that that was a possibility when I was growing up, right? So this is huge. The last one I would say is more of a professional professional hero for Indians. She's Indra, you pronounce her last name right, Nui, but she's the CEO of 
PepsiCo. Um, and she has been for a very long time. And we know that PepsiCo like owns like so much more than just Pepsi. And along with, you know, just being amazing and powerful woman that's obviously very smart she's in the best of the best of ceos like right she gets like ranked as like top 100 from forbes like all the time so so april i would say that i think now i do thanks to the way that the world is changing have a lot more asian american heroes that i look up to yeah absolutely and you know it's it's really interesting because um it's speaking of the political landscape right when you look at it now 2021 it's pretty incredible to see the slate of candidates and the, the the slate of candidates and the people who've actually won and been elected who are women of color, people of color, and from the Asian American community as well, Asian and Asian American community and Pacific Islander community and Native peoples, right? So the, it's growing every single year and election cycle. It's funny because, you know, I was recently elected to school board. It's school board, you know, it's like a tiny little thing. But in one of my monthly meetings for Asian and Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, someone told me I was one of only three Asian individuals elected in the state of Indiana to any political office. And I found that kind of shocking. I mean, because it is 2021, I kind of expected it to be slightly higher or different. But yeah, only three in Indiana. So the world is changing and we're growing. But but yeah, definitely still room for for much, much more to move in. I would agree. I think we're moving in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think often that's probably why we see these individuals like Mindy, right, actually writing, producing, directing shows that reflect their experience because they just aren't out there. They're not available. So if they're not, what do you do? You create them. You make them, right? You make that work. And yeah, so I've been really, really grateful for people who are doing that work, both in the political sphere and in the arts, too, because it's really important, that reflection of, of our daily life. Doug, how about you? Who are your heroes? So when I think about your question, April, I was thinking and thinking, and actually, to be honest, sadness is what the emotion that I feel right now. Because when I grew up as a kid in Richmond, Virginia, in the 70s and early 80s, there, there were basically zero Asian American figures. And this is the pre-internet, pre-cable TV world. My universe was limited to, you know, what I saw in news magazines, what I saw on the three major networks. There was basically zero Asian American representation. I didn't know any Asian American teachers, CEOs, lawyers, civic leaders, writers, etc. There were only two Asian Americans that I was aware of outside my immediate Asian American community in Richmond, Virginia. One was Bruce Lee, the famous martial arts actor. And I was constantly asked by everyone around me, are you going to grow up to be a martial arts actor too? Because that's the only role that they saw Asian American men being in those days. The other was NBC News anchorwoman Connie Chung. They, they were the only two Asian Americans that I knew of until I left for college in 1987. So that, in hindsight, I feel sad because I was I was very aware that I didn't I couldn't see myself and anyone I admired. And I decided that I had to forge my own path, even if it meant moving in unconventional directions. 
But I'm very thankful that fast forward to today, as like Ronnie and Eric, you've pointed out, that my kids, who are now um, in college, have grown up in a very different universe. There hasn't been a ton of choices, but at least they have some more options to choose from role models that they can look up to. One of, and for my kids, one of them is Jeremy Lin. Not only, you know, he's the basketball player who not only excels athletically, but also academically with his Harvard education and in terms of character, given his philanthropy and dedication to social activism. So my kids grew up with him as a hero. And I just remember thinking, I'm so glad that they have somebody whom they can respect because I didn't have that growing up. So I agree, April, and you know what you all have said that the progress and the change in our country is definitely encouraging. And if I couldn't experience it growing up, I definitely want my kid generation to have it for them. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Doug. And actually, it kind of provides a perfect segue into our last question here, um, because you were talking about you know, kind of the stereotype, people asking, are you going to grow up to be a martial artist or, or are you going to grow up to be like Bruce Lee, right? Those stereotypes that exist, that can be harmful, right? Or can be problematic. Or even if they're not necessarily, you know, mean or harm, harmful or sort of damaging in some ways, just the repetition of them, those sort of microaggressions, the putting you in that spot over and over can be really, really harmful and hurtful across one's lifetime. So this last question that we have today really is about those stereotypes. What stereotypes about the Asian, Asian American and Pacific Islander community do you wish you could kind of erase or get rid of and why? And maybe, Doug, we start with you since you were already sort of moving down that path. That's a great question, April. I could spend an hour talking about these because I've thought in the last 10 years, especially about this question. But if I had to just pick one stereotype that I could counter, it would be the stereotype that Asians are weak. I've, I've been completely outraged over this last year with news on a daily basis of the violent attacks against Asian Americans all over the country. And I can only assume that that the assailants think that Asians are weak and that's why they make soft targets. We are not weak. We are not weak. Our Asian American elderly often choose to walk several miles each day doing errands. That is often when they become targets for these. To walk several miles each day doing errands when you're in your 70s and 80s, that is not weakness, that is strength. Our forebears, April, you alluded to earlier, um, are the ones who built the Transcontinental Railroad through backbreaking labor. That is not weakness, that is incredible strength. And as all of you, I think, are well aware, our culture, although we're from different parts of Asia, there are some common themes, right? Our culture teaches us to be super hardworking, to be gracious, to be polite, to often turn the other cheek and not get easily offended, to not unnecessarily pick fights with people, to be enduring, to be persevering. And these qualities in the U.S. Uh, sometimes get mistaken for weakness. But as I reflected on the, over the last year and seeing all these people who look like my mother, father, sister, get beaten up and assaulted, I realized those qualities are not weakness. They are strength. And that's the one thing that I like to say to people who, who believe in that stereotype. 
Thank you, Doug. Wow, that's really powerful. I mean, thinking about that as as strength and not weakness, you're right. So often we, the Asian or the AAPI community does get sort of pegged as uh, quiet, subservient, meek. You know, these are some of the stereotypes that we see over and over and over. And you're right. I mean, thinking about the, the sort of labor and the trials and the hardships that even my own grandmother and great-grandmother went through um, mm-hmm. under exactly. Japanese annexation of of Korea even, right, is incredible to me. And it it demonstrates their strength over and over again. So yeah, I think especially a certain generation, um, they are some of the strongest and hardiest people I know. And so to see that perceived as weakness is incredibly difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Eric, what about you? Yeah. The one, I I had a few, but I think the one I do want to talk about is the automatic assumption of the, you know, your your culture automatically assuming, you know, when when people see me or talk to me, assuming I'm, you know, Chinese or Korean or or whatever it is. And interestingly enough, I think it's more from from other Asians. Um, an example is if I went to, you know, a Korean restaurant or a Japanese restaurant, the servers might start speaking to me in Korean or Japanese. And maybe not quite a stereotype because I think that plays into just the authenticity of the restaurant and their owner. But just interestingly enough, whenever I go to a Vietnamese restaurant, Vietnamese people don't start speaking Vietnamese to me. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think that's a stereotype that I think would it, would be erased across, you know, Asian people to one another and also just non-Asians to Asians. Yeah, and I think that speaks to that sort of homogeneity of Asian cultures that we all tend to get put in the same bucket, right? And it's like, oh, well, you're Asian, so you know about this. Or, oh, you're Asian, so you do this. And there's such incredible diversity within the AAPI community and such, you know, yes, there are similarities as there are with any group groups of individuals, but there are enormous differences in the way that we celebrate, in the way that we live, in the way that we do our sort of day-to-day things. And those differences often just get sort of you know, smushed together into one giant pot and and you just get sort of branded as Asian and as other and is therefore all the same, you know? So yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big one. Thank you, Eric. Ronnie, what about you? I have two stereotypes I'd like to speak towards. Um, The first one I won't go into very much detail on because it's Doug, it's exactly what you were saying. It's that as Asians, we're meek or weak. And that we're quiet and subservient and um, our voice may not need to be heard as much and that we can't be confident and demanding or whatever, maybe a role, the needs of it. And I think as you were talking and you were saying that the weakness is actually strength. And I think the big thing in Asian culture is that we're taught to be so respectful of of our elders, of each other, of our families. That's right. And I think it's that that inherent respect we have for everybody that gets misunderstood as weakness. You know what I mean? Like That's right. when we may not lash out or argue or shut something down, it's out of respect maybe for the other person. And I think you're right in this culture. It may not always be understood for what it is. I think the other thing I'd like to talk about is if, if I mean, this would be for a lot of people, but 
if we're being anti-American, and I'll add a little bit more about what that means. If you're very excited about your culture or flamboyant about it, it somehow means you may be anti-American. Or if you're in a group of only maybe other people that look like you, you may be anti-American. So my childhood was shaped greatly by 9-11. I was in ninth grade when it happened. So I felt and dealt with a ton of racism and being called a terrorist and us being scared to go out, right? Just with what's happening right now with the pandemic, with a lot of, with a lot of people, it was a very similar thing that happened through 9-11, right? The anger was directed to anybody that had darker skin or brown skin. And I think like, I think it still lingers, right? People are like, oh, oh, it, it, is that person this way? Are, are they anti-American? And it's like, no, like I was born here. <laughs> I'm an American. My father's worked for the DOD his whole life. He has like a security clearance. So does my father-in-law. My husband's an active duty sailor. Like we are as American, I think, as you can be. But a lot of times we are not considered that way. And it can be hurtful. It can be, it can be all those things. But I would say those are the two things I would hit on as stereotypes I wish that could change. Yeah. And Ronnie, I think in many ways, that's been a familiar narrative across our history, across U.S. history anyway, thinking through like Japanese internment and those individuals being sort of pinned as not American, even though they were very much American. Many of them were fighting, had fought in wars for us and things like that. And yet still in that moment were sort of pegged as anti-American. And those are the kinds of things that can do grave harm and damage, both that can result in sort of the acts of violence like we've seen in the past year but also just in the sort of daily quality of our lives, right? Those microaggressions that we encounter on a daily basis. So, you know, I do think as we think about how we move forward, I think many people haven't even ever really celebrated AAPI Heritage Month, right? I'm so glad to see our organization taking this on and and really making um, an effort to be inclusive and thoughtful about the people in our organization. But I think even in the broader sense, right, as we move out into our communities, as we function in our daily lives, these are things that we want to see shift and change. And I, I do think we are moving in that direction, but we know that change is slow. So... This brings us basically to the end of our podcast. And I just want to say, I really appreciate the three of you being here and being willing to sort of talk through these things together, take a moment to be vulnerable, but also to connect. And hopefully our user, our listeners will find this thought provoking and useful and helpful um, to them as well. So I, I thank you all for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, April. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, April. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.